0: My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. I usually speak at our Sunday night service and lead our ministry to college students and young adults. Pastor Steve is away, so I get to be here this morning. And I am continuing the series of talks that Pastor Steve started last week that are called A Brand New You. And they're about how God offers to renew and refresh our lives. And when I was thinking about that topic, it reminded me of something that happened on the elementary school playground. Let me explain. So, when you're out in elementary school at recess, you would play kickball sometimes. Now, I'm sure you guys remember playing kickball. It may be a few years for some of you, but uh, you, know, you, know, you understand the concept of the sport. You roll the ball, right? And then you, one kid kicks it as hard as they can. And after they kick the ball, they start running around the bases. Now, what makes kickball so fun is that you can actually throw the ball at the person running the bases, Right? So you throw it at them, and if you hit them, they're out. Now, what inevitably happens is one kid takes the ball and throws it at the kid that's running, and it whisks by him. And the kid who threw the ball yells, I got him, he's out! And the kid running yells, No, you didn't, you didn't get me, I'm safe. And then, you're out, you're safe, you're out, you're safe. But another kid all of a sudden says something that changes everything. One of the other kids out there on the playground will yell, do over. And the moment you yell do over, something amazing happens. All the kids out in the playground just stop. You go back to where you started, you replay that, 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 that play, and everyone just pretends that what just happened and the argument that started completely disappears. And I'm going to guess that for many of us, we kind of wish in life we could have some do overs. It may be small things. Your spouse says, hey, does this outfit make me look fat? You answer, and the moment you answer, you were like, want to yell, do over. <laughs> it may be big things, a presentation at work, a decision you made. For some of us, there are probably weeks, months, sometimes decades, that we would like to yell, do over. And the amazing thing is that what we learn from the Bible is God actually offers us somewhat of a do over. God offers to renew and refresh our lives, and that's what this series is about. Last week, Pastor Steve talked about overcoming worry. This week, we're talking about how we can overcome isolation through deep friendships and community. And we sent our kind of camera crew out to downtown Fairfield to ask people what they thought about friendships and community, and this is what they had to say. Uh, Friends are very important. They're a support structure and uh, a community. I see my friends like my family. If I didn't have friends, I don't know where I'd be right now because I'm not quite close with my family. I have many friends. Many friends. It's very imperative to have friends. My friends are very important to me because they're like family to me. They um, lift me up when I'm feeling down. They give me advice they tell me what I'm doing right or wrong. Um, I actually just got out of a fight recently with one of my friends. They invited someone I didn't like to a concert and to stay the night, and I kind of like flipped out of it and um, was very rude, so I let myself cool down, I let them cool down, and then we talk and we work it out. Like, I'm a big believer on working things through. I have had a time where somebody has, you know, you've tried to make things right with them and they just weren't budging. they didn't want to make things right with you. And so you just finally you say, well, I did my part, and you just walk away from it. Well, actually, I've had a falling out with one of my closest friends of 10 years, um, like a year or two ago, and I had to make the decision whether it was worth having her in my life, The relationship was kind of a poison relationship, and it wasn't good for me, but I did give a chance. I tried chance after chance, and I just had to let it go, and that's what I did, but it still breaks my heart all the time. When you go out and ask people about friendships and relationships and community, you get some decent advice. Most people say it's very important. Most people also think that they have at least some friends, and pretty much everyone has a story about how some friendships didn't quite work out the way they had planned. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to go and look at what the Bible has to say about overcoming isolation and having deep friendships and community. And, and what I'd like to do is kind of like have an over, kind of fly overview. And so we're going to look at a, a bunch of different ideas that you could spend probably weeks talking about each and every one of these. But well, what I found is, as we kind of did this, as I looked at all these different topics, you kind of put them together and you get a powerful view of what the Bible says about overcoming isolation through friendships and community. And so why don't you join me as we take this journey? Now, in the very first pages of the Bible, there is a statement made that is kind of foundational for the human existence. In Genesis chapter 2, we learn that community is something that is absolutely essential Our lives. Let's read Genesis two, verse eighteen. It says this. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground the wild animals, and the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And so there's that phrase in this, just the very first pages of the Bible. God had created the world and he created all the things about it and was saying, man, this is good. This is good. This is good. He creates the first human in Adam. And then all of a sudden he says something interesting. He says something is not good. And what does he say? It's not good. He says it's not good for man to be alone. That statement is a defining statement in human existence. That statement that we were not created to be alone. We were created to be in community. The, the truth is, you can exist without community. But you can't really live. You can exist, but you can't really live. I, I was reading a few weeks ago through the Bible, and I found a verse that, for some reason, it jumped out at me this week. And the, the verse was up there, Psalm 92. says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. And, and what jumped out at me is that word, flourish. And the reason is it made me stop and ask myself, is my life flourishing? Not am I just existing? Not am I just making it, but am I flourishing? The truth is God created us to flourish, not just exist, not just make it, but to flourish. And one of the essential ingredients to flourishing is having deep relationships and community. The, the truth is you don't have to teach yourself to want community. You don't go around, you don't teach your kids, you don't have kids and you say, you know what, kids, I need you to talk to strangers more. You know what, kids, I would really like you to go just if a stranger comes up, just go get in his car with him. That's fine. You know, go build a go build some friendships with strangers. You don't teach your kids that you teach your kids the opposite. Right. We have to teach ourselves to not have community. The truth is that if you are feeling isolated or lonely, it's not because something's wrong with you. We feel that way. We feel like, oh, if I feel like I don't have friendships or I don't have that community, that there's something wrong with me. I'm not strong enough. But the exact opposite is true. We were created to be in community. So when you feel that way, it's because you're living the right way, it's because you're healthy. We've got it all mixed around. We say, oh, I'm feeling lonely, so I'm not strong enough. The truth is, if you're feeling lonely, it's because you're living the way God created you to live. There's something inside you saying, I'm not flourishing. I don't have that community. It is essential to the human existence. But we teach ourselves not to need it because right on the next page in the Bible, there's a very important thing that happens that's something we all know. That we know it's essential, but we also know that community is broken. Right? we know Many of us know the story of Adam and Eve. We know that they were created. They lived there. And then we also know that they chose to go against God. They chose selfishness over love. They chose betrayal over community. The story of Adam and Eve has the moment they did that, the moment they chose to go against God, they start betraying each other. They start arguing with each other. They start blaming each other. They, Adam says Eve did it. Eve says the serpent did it. They start... They, they, community implodes. It's broken. It's marred. And we know that. We know that because we've all been hurt by someone. And some of us have been hurt very deeply. I don't know who it was by. It may have been by parents or friends, a spouse, a business partner, coworker, co-worker, teacher. Sometimes it's even the church. And we know the community is broken because we've seen it. We've experienced it. And when that happens, we rightly close up a little bit inside. That's the right thing to do. We, we, we wall ourselves off. We, we protect ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what often happens when we do that is a little part of our human existence dies. It's deeper than we often think because since we were created for community when it when it breaks down we put up walls and a little bit of our human existence dies So what do we do? What do we do if we have this innate essential need for community and yet it's broken? It's hard. It's dangerous. What do we do with this battle that's going on inside each and every one of us? This battle between wanting that community, but yet being afraid and worried and cautious. Well, that's why we're here this morning. It's one of these central tenets of us as a church. We have a process that says to grow in your faith, you need worship, community, serving, and ownership. We believe here at the church, the community is essential. We talk about it on a regular basis. We encourage people to get involved in groups that we call community groups. Because we believe it's essential. In fact, I, I would say to you, coming this fall, we're going to have our community groups. I would, I would ask you to make a decision now to sign up for one. Or to make a decision that you're going to do it, because when the fall comes, you'll get very busy. But we believe it's essential, and we believe God can renew and refresh our relationships. But when you're seeking community, I want to encourage you to seek it with a little different mindset. I found, and I often encourage people to seek community, understanding it's essential and broken. What I found is people seek it with a mindset, and I've done this many times myself. And so I'm looking for friends, or I'm looking for a community, and I have this kind of fast food ordering mentality. Right? You fast food, you drive up to the window, you ask what you want, you want it quickly, you want it right away, and then you get out. And so people drive up and they say, I would like community. And what I would like is I would really like it if you can get a group of people that have the same values I have, that have the same sense of humor I have, same hobbies I have. They live close by to me. In fact, can I have a side order of their spouse gets along with my spouse and their kids get along with my kids? And while we're at it, can you throw in one friend with a beach house and another one with a pickup truck? Because I really need a friend with a pickup truck right now. Uh, maybe exaggerating it a little bit, but we often, we enter into seeking friends and community with uh, this critique mentality of, all right, does this one really work? Is this all right? Is this okay? Is this good for me? And what I've found is that finding community is a little more, more like fishing. You know, when you go out fishing, you, you cast out your line and you, and I, I, I am not a fisherman. I don't have the patience. Because you cast out the line and like, it seems like four fifths of the time you reel it in and you got nothing. Right? You cast it out, you reel it in, and just nothing happens there. But there's, there's sometimes you cast it out, you reel it in, and you caught something. There's something on the end of the line, and you're reeling it in, you're reeling it in, and just at the last minute, the line breaks, the frisk break, breaks free and swims off. Sometimes you catch it, you reel it all the way in. Oh, I think I got something and It turns out to be this little tiny minnow that you caught. And so you got to go through the pain of actually grabbing it and taking out the hook and throwing it back. But there are times... When you catch that perfect fish, the one that's just right, the one that you were going for, the one that's exactly what you needed. And it's kind of like that when you're seeking community. There are times when you kind of reach out, you make some steps and it's just nothing there. There's times when it looks like it's going to work out and then it doesn't. There's times when you catch it and it doesn't work out the way you thought. But one of the things we learn from the Bible is because it's essential, it's worth it. To keep fishing for community. It's worth it, even though it's broken, even though it doesn't always work out, it's worth it to keep going. It takes effort, it's a process. But I want to encourage you whatever step you need to take to do it. It may be calling someone, maybe calling an old friend, an old acquaintance, a family member. It may be something that God is prompting you to, to do right now to reach out to someone. But I'd encourage you to take that step. I want to look at three more things that the Bible says about community relatively fast. But before we do that, we need to kind of push this sort of change in mindset a step further. Right? The change from thinking about it like, hey, I'm just going to go and kind of order up the community I need. That fast food mentality doesn't work. The other thing that doesn't work is when you start to look for friendships or community that ultimately is just supposed to meet your needs. One of the things we learn from the Bible, actually over and over again in the Bible, is that the best way to find community is to be community. That we can't just look for community, we need to actually be it. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The Bible over and over again tells you to start living the way you want other people to live. Start just modeling the way God created you to live. To worry less about what everyone else is doing and on how you're living for God. If you truly want to find a friend, the best way is to be a friend. Because if your goal is to go out and reach out and find that person that's going to fill your needs, you never will. No person will be able to fill your needs. Now the beauty is we believe because of the Bible that God can do that. And if you focus less on what other people are doing for you and what you can do for them, what happens is you begin to find that friendship and community you were seeking. So as we go through these next three things, what I want you to think about is not can I find the person that does that for me, but can I be the person who does that for someone else? One of the first things we see about community in the Bible is that community is encouraging. First of all, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Encourage one another and build one another up. It's so great when you have someone who, just when you kind of need it, reaches out to you, sends you that phone message or text message or email that, that says, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying about you, I care for you. And you never know when God is going to use you to say those exact words that someone else needs. When I was a kid, I actually lived in Sierra Leone, West Africa. My parents were missionaries there. My, my parents ran a seminary that trained local men to be pastors. And uh, that was in the 80s. And no one from my family had been back until just recently. About eight months ago, my dad was able to go back after 30 years of not being there. And uh, you may not know the history of uh, things going on in Africa, but Sierra Leone was an absolutely horrific place to be in the 90s and early 2000s. There was just absolute horrible war there and and destruction. And it was a really uh, struggling place to be. And so my father was able to go back after 30 years of not being there. He went to the boarding school that I attended, which is complete ruins. There's a few walls standing up. And he also was able to go to the seminary that he used to leave. And the moment he stepped out of his truck at that seminary, he saw a man he instantly recognized. The man recognized him. This man was now in his 70s. My father is in his 60s now, late 60s. And he saw this man. And the man took him up to a high place. There's this little kind of building up on the campus where their school is. And there's this high place that's a, a classroom and a chapel. And he took my dad there. And the reason he did is because he stood up there and he asked my dad. He goes, do you remember what you said to me right here? My dad kind of was like, I'm supposed to remember some comment I made 30 years ago not knowing what to say. Do you remember what you said right here? My dad said, no, I don't remember. You see, what happens during a war is some people kind of leave as refugees. Other people get killed. And so you can just you kind of people go and live in someone else's house. They start farming someone else's land. You kind of take what you need. And that didn't happen to the school. And the man stood next to my dad and he said, do you remember what you told me right here? And my dad said, well, not exactly. What, what did I say? And the man said, we stood right here and you said, this is not your school. This is our school and the church's school. And because of that phrase that my dad said, this man stayed as close as he could to that school during the war. He came back after the war was over and fought in the courts so the church would retain ownership. That seminary is being run now by this man's son. Men are being trained to be pastors because of one word that was said that inspired this man. You never know when God wants to use you to be that word of encouragement to someone you know to your friend, to your community. Community is encouraging. Not only that, community is authentic. One of the things that keeps us from having deep friendships and true community is we don't really let people get to know who we are. We were talking about this battle going on beside us, and we have this battle to want to be known. It's great when you can say to someone, hey, I can really be myself around you. But then we also feel the need to kind of hide and pretend. Pretend we're better than we are. Pretend things aren't going the way they really are. But if you truly want deep community, you have to be prepared to be honest. Not with everyone, but with someone. You don't need to go to everyone and say, Hi, I'm Jim and my marriage is falling apart. Hi, I'm Sally. I'm really insecure. You, know, you don't have to go to everyone, but... You do have to go to someone. You have to have someone over and over again here at the church. We see people who come and they've got struggles. And what happens oftentimes is we struggle and then we kind of, we hide. We don't tell anyone. And what, ha- what happens when you do that is you go down a bigger and bigger spiral of struggling. till finally you hit the bottom and you have to tell someone. And over and over again... The, The Bible says, hey, it's okay to be honest. One of my favorite passages is Romans 7. It's where the Apostle Paul talks about how he struggles to live out his faith. This is the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest leaders in the history of the Christian church. And he talks about how I don't do the things I want to do. I know what I should do, but I don't do it. If the Apostle Paul can be honest about his struggles, so can we. So the question is, who are you honest with? It doesn't have to be everyone, but it's got to be someone. And finally, probably the most difficult aspect of true friendship and deep community. In fact, when I say this word, some of you will get defensive. True community is forgiving. Forgiving. And I understand some of us, we get defensive when we say that word because, well, you don't know what happened to me. You don't know what's been done to me. And I don't. I know there are many of us that we've had people do things that we can't get past, that we still struggle to even think about. And no one is here to condemn you. We know That this is very difficult, but we also know the most powerful thing that God offers to renew or refresh relationships is forgiveness. It is the most powerful thing that God helps us with. And the reason it's so hard is because it is not natural. Forgiveness is a supernatural thing. It's natural to seek revenge. That's natural. It's natural to start a smear campaign. Call up your friends. Can you believe what so-and-so did? Walk to the cubicle next to you. Do you believe this email that so-and-so wrote? That's natural. To forgive is supernatural. And many of us know what the Bible says. We know that Jesus talked about forgiving, said even love your enemies, things like that. But we know that forgiveness is biblically accurate, but experientially difficult. But God offers us A path to forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is not just condoning or excusing what someone did. It's not tolerating things like injustice or destructive relationships. You can actually be in legal proceedings and still forgive. Forgiveness is not waiting for a person to reach out to you and say they're sorry. That might not happen. Forgiveness is not forgetting. If someone ever says to you, forgive and forget, you have the pastor's permission to slap them. Uh, and that is an idiotic thing to say. Forgiving is not forgiving. That doesn't happen. Forgiveness is not even reconciliation. That may or may not occur. That's a beautiful thing Well, it does. Forgiveness is being able to let go. Being able to let the things that happen not destroy your relationships now. Being able to let the things that happen not control the way you think and feel Now, that's what forgiveness is. And forgiveness is a process, but it has to start somewhere. It has to start at a point where you make a decision that I'm going to start that process. And that process may be something you need to start today. And the key to the Bible and understanding forgiveness is in that verse, Colossians 3.13. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That phrase is also a seminal phrase in understanding friendships and community. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. In order to truly have that deep community to overcome that isolation and loneliness, we have to understand what God has done for us. That God created each and every one of us and created us To flourish. Not just exist, but truly flourish. And at the same time, we break that commitment to God every day. We say things we shouldn't say. We think things we shouldn't think. We do things we shouldn't do. And yet God chose to forgive us. We wouldn't do that. If someone treated us the way we treated God, we probably wouldn't forgive the way God forgives us. But God chose at great cost to Himself, ultimately sending His Son to die and rise again. At great cost to Himself, He chose to forgive us. And the ability to forgive any single person, that supernatural ability comes because we understand who God is and what He's done for us. God offers us that type of community, that type of renewed relationships. We know it's essential. We know it's broken, but God offers a community that's encouraging, that's authentic, that's forgiving. But the best way to find it is to start living that out ourselves. A few years ago, a book was written about one of the most important friendships possibly in the history of the world. It was actually between Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Winston Churchill. The two of them had met briefly before World War II. But when when the U.S. got involved in World War II, their friendship quickly developed and intensified. In fact, the author of a book called Franklin and Winston, An Intimate Portrait of an Epic Friendship, John Meacham, describes how they would stay up late at night, smoking in cigars and talking about everything from the war to their families. They got together very frequently. Uh, In fact, on one particular time where they were meeting in a secluded location, they were driving from Casablanca to Marrakesh and they actually pulled over their motorcade and actually just had a picnic together. And and when that particular meeting was over, Roosevelt was going to fly back to the U.S. It was the first time a U.S. president had actually made a transatlantic flight. And Winston Churchill said to his aide, he said, don't tell me when the plane takes off. And the reason he said that is he said, it makes me far too nervous. If anything happened to that man, I couldn't stand it. He is The truest friend. Throughout World War II, Winston Churchill and Roosevelt exchanged more than 2,000 letters. They spent more than 100 days together. They celebrated Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's together. They often agreed, but they also disagreed on a regular basis. And on April 11, 1945, World War II was drawing to a close, and Roosevelt sat down to write a speech. And he was sitting at his vacation home in Warm Springs, Georgia. And he never got to give this speech because he actually died the very next day. And Roosevelt, we know, had gone through a pretty rough life and had some pretty amazing accomplishments. The Great Depression, he was paralyzed, the World War II. He had gone through all these things. And the day before he died, this is what he wrote in his speech. He said, today we are faced with the preeminent fact That if civilization is to survive, we must cultivate the science of human relationships. If civilization is to survive, we must cultivate the science of human relationships. Roosevelt was just echoing what the Bible says. That to overcome isolation, deep friendship and community is essential. It's broken, but it's worth continuing to fish, continuing to reach out. And when we do that, by being encouraging, by being authentic, and by being forgiving, we'll actually find that life, the flourishing life that God created us to have. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for everything you've done for us. We thank you for just allowing us to have relationships. You created us with the ability to have a relationship with you and with each other. And we know that this is something essential to who we are. But we also know that it's often difficult. So we pray this morning. We pray for those who've been through some real struggles. We pray that you'd give them strength and peace. We pray that you'd give them the strength to be able to make that first step of being authentic and seeking forgiveness. We thank you that you offer us help. We're not in this on our own. This isn't just about being stronger ourselves. It's about accepting your love and the love of our friends and our community. I pray that you'd strengthen us as we go out this week, tomorrow, when we interact with friends, family, co-workers. You would help us to reach out in a way that deepens friendship. That builds community. That allows people to flourish. God, we thank you for allowing us to come here this morning. To spend time with you. To be refreshed and renewed. Guide us as we leave. In Jesus' name, amen.